Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News, and I am joined by my fabulous co-host today. I'm Hui Shen Bu, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So it has been a week since many public schools started, and since we're in the the full swing of the school year, we start, decided to come back to a new recurring feature of ours, homework, or the yes. Millennial Falcon School of Movies, TV shows, and comedy specials. There's not a name yet. I'm, we'll think There's of one no later. There's no name yet, but there will, be, there will be admissions uh, in August next year, 2019. Get your letters in, and you'll get your wand, and you'll be good to go. Yep. Yeah, we're going to have houses... It's yeah, great. you'll be divided up by personality traits. <laughs> oh, a single personality trait. Of right, course. Right, no, because that's how, that's how people are. You know, brave, ambitious, clever, and, and finding. And finding. finding. And finding. finding. Hufflepuffs are particularly good finders. Yes, <laughs> they are. <laughs> they definitely are. So, we're back to school. We're back to homework. <laughs> back uh, to Hogwarts. And we, all three of us, gave each other some homework assignments uh, of movies, TV shows, or comedy specials to watch. All of these assignments are under two hours long, or around the the length of a movie time. So uh, before we get into our homework assignments, let's go to our advertisement of the day. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by High School Induced Anxiety. It follows you into college and into adulthood. It never goes away. Anxiety from high school. To be fair, HG and I both love school. So. Well, maybe the person who did the ad did not. <laughs> We're a bit divided on this podcast yeah, when it comes to school. There's some controversial opinions here where Anya and I are like classes, the smell of paper, learning. the smell of leaves, learning, or as Oscar Isaac says in X Men Apocalypse, Learning. Learning. I, know. I think it's. I think it's more like this. Learning. I mean, that's how I feel every time I enter a classroom. So, exactly. Preach. Give Preach. me all Which the knowledge. Like, I don't. I don't get it. I just don't. There's so but much knowledge in the things. world. Don't you love just like feeling your brain crackling and with new information? I like going to Wikipedia and looking up like the history <laughs> of something, but I don't want to sit in an for for 13 weeks about one subject and have like I do there's so much do an essay about it it's so fun oh there's so so much I I like I will go back and read my college essays because I'm like man I Me love too. Oh, oh, this. I've done oh, that yeah. too I have them still oh, in my room just oh to, like, same I have them visit. oh no uh, that's the most cringeworthy thing I could possibly ever do <laughs> well I've actually well, considered like reusing some of my college essays for like publication because some same. of them are like pretty good pretty good themes. I mean, you guys do your own thing and i'm sure i mean you guys probably were great at school i was not i was a b minus student however with this school you're like an a plus willoughby thank you because yeah, we school, all got straight a's in this school we do it's a pretty great school and for this week our uh, assignments were quite different which yes. was interesting. Um, HG, let's start with your assignments because they kind of go together, and so we can talk about them at once. 
Yes. So, so Anya and Willoughby both assigned me two John Mulaney comedy specials. Yeah, uh, this was sort of our, our way of just getting H.C. to watch John Mulaney. Yeah. Yeah, because they keep referencing it. And I'm like, I've never seen John Mulaney. And they're like, you know what? We're going to assign it to you. So uh, Anya assigned me. I'm just going to assign the random ones. Anya assigned me the Comeback Kid. Uh, and Willoughby assigned me the Radio Hall special. And I watched both of them yesterday and this morning. They were good. They were funny. I don't watch a lot of comedy specials. Actually, I think these are the first comedy specials I've ever watched in my life. What? Wait a minute. Yeah, I don't watch Wait them. Wait For real? Yeah, I don't. I never watch comedy wow, specials. Wow, yeah, that's... I well, have so many more to recommend you now. I've watched yeah. Bo Burnham, like YouTube com. No, actually, I, I've never watched that either. Oh, yep. okay. Yeah, HD. Next homework assignment. There's two Bo Burnham Netflix yeah, okay. specials. <laughs> Bo Burnham. I don't know. Watch and make like the... <laughs> you have to watch well, Ali Wong. You need to watch uh, Nanette. You okay. to watch I appreciate the humor in these specials, and I think they were good. They were good jokes. They all landed. But I just don't think that I'm the appropriate audience for comedy specials, just because, like, I appreciate them. I think they're funny. I just, like, they don't really stick with me that much. Like, I remember some of the jokes, and I'm like, yeah, those are good. And then, like, they don't really make a profound impact on my life. Except for maybe a, one that goes viral and that I remember as a meme or something. So, well, so see, now you get the McDonald's meme. What's the McDonald's meme? When his dad goes to the drive-thru at McDonald's and he orders a single black coffee. Oh, uh, yeah. That was funny. <laughs> and, and the kids are like, McDonald's! 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 Oh, McDonald's. Yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I, I somewhat agree with you, HG. I really do like watching comedy specials, but, like, they won't stick with me in a way where, like, I can constantly refer back to them, like, maybe only bits and pieces. But mm. John Mulaney, for me, is, like, the one, I quote him probably on a near-daily basis. <laughs> like, I'm constantly referring to him. Um, one of my favorite bits is in The Comeback Kid, which is my favorite of his specials, and it's the part where he talks about going to church. Oh, it's so good. With the spirit, he's like, and with your spirit also. And there's that part where he's like, huh? What? Huh? And I will do that in my everyday life if something confuses me. That's amazing. I just, for me, I feel like half of a comedy special is delivery. Mm -hmm. And I love John Mulaney's delivery. Like He he really does. He's very um, energetic and like... He just, like, he throws it all into his delivery. Like, it feels like he's doing, you know, little bits with everyone. It's not just stand-up. Exactly, yeah. And so, like, I do find his jokes just objectively funny. Mm-hmm. But then once you see him deliver them, I I can't stop laughing. I really can't. Um, and so just, I adore him. And I love how, like, kind of mundane his jokes are in a way. Like, I feel like he's not... He's not kind of, like, grandstanding with his comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, he they're very yeah. much... He doesn't, like... He's not doing anything, doing anything like, subversive. Or, like, I guess... I mean, he... I mean, the jokes are subversive. They're, they're good jokes. But, like, I feel like he's not changing comedy. He's just doing a really good job at it. Yeah. He's just a regular dude, but he's, like, a, an enhanced regular dude. Yeah, he's like, like, the Captain America of stand-up comedians. Yes. 
love it. I and do it's like, think especially that... because he has the sensibilities of a man from 1945. <laughs> he or at really least the, he talks like one from 1945. He does. That's true. He has like a radio announcer type voice, especially when Again, he goes like really hard into his jokes. Yeah. I yeah. do think that John Mulaney is a really good example of not punching down uh, mm-hmm. comedy and not really like going into edgy fare that we've seen a lot of um, – uh, discourse over like whether you can do racist or sexist or rape jokes and stuff and he avoids all of those and he's still just hilarious because he's smart mm-hmm. and he has a wife that will not like that exactly um i love when he references his wife they're so great together but it's like someone wife. like <laughs> <laughs> like someone like um john mulaney and someone like um hannah gadsby who just did her recent special on netflix nanette which went like viral because of how different it was from a normal comedy special and like how searing and serious she got in it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, you can look at both of these things and see them as both like objectively good. And just because John Mulaney doesn't like have larger commentary necessarily doesn't mean it is less than for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's again, just that thing of like, he's really good at what he does and he knows how to do it well and how to do it progressively and, not in a way that punches down, as you said. And, like, that, there is worth in that in and of itself, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I think of the two specials that you guys made me watch, I liked the Radio City Hall one a tiny Kid bit gorgeous. better. Yeah. yeah. It was really good. And um, That's the one that Willoughby and I each saw in person. Oh, yeah. did you? We had tickets. Yeah, yeah we both saw Kid Gorgeous. I saw him when he was here in L.A. Willoughby saw him in D.C. Ah. His bit about college was very, very good in that. Especially because he went to Georgetown and we went to AU, so mm-hmm. there was this weird connection there. Yeah. Um, plus, he talked about he, he talked about in the Georgetown uh, at, in the DC one. He talked about how he was in a class behind Ivanka Trump. <laughs> wow! Yeah. I forgot yeah. Ivanka went to Georgetown. Yep. Um, yeah. His, uh, his, I, de- I definitely really liked his uh, horse in the hospital jokes about oh, Trump. Like his yeah. little bit about that. Horse. Loose in a hospital. It was actually, it was very good. I've noticed that he has a really good way of milking out a really big laugh out of just repetition. He basically just repeats, there's a horse loose in the hospital, like at least 20 times. But it's funny every time just because of his delivery and the way that he repeats it over and over again. He's really good at changing. An absurdity almost to his comedy. He's really good at like putting this, the emphasis on a different, like, word or a syllable to make it just the same phrase, like, funnier. Mm-hmm. But, H.T. Yes. What did you think of J.J. Bittenbinder? Oh, yeah, that was good. Detective J.J. <laughs> Bittenbinder. Street smarts! Street smarts! It was, it was a good bit. I enjoyed that. I love how this whole thing is me and Willoughby, like, quoting his jokes and laughing hysterically and HD going, it was good. <laughs> like, that was funny. I agreed with the humor. So HD, do you have any, were there any jokes that stood out to you or that like you really, you said the horse in the hospital. Um, were there any other ones that you really liked or that got a particularly like big or hearty laugh from you? Jaunty one would say. Uh, the horse in the hospital one, he, there was a bit in the, the kid gorgeous one that I can't remember. It's about ghosts. I don't remember. I do like the ghost one where his dad's like, I want to tell you about my book about World War II. Oh, the, Let's yeah. change the subject. All the jokes with his dad were pretty good. Like, I Shit liked the boy. part where he was t- talking about how his dad gave him a sex talk and it was, oh, who was it in reference to? I can't remember. It was like, what would whoever 
Oh, do. what would Leonard Bernstein do? Yeah, what would do? Leonard Bernstein do? That was funny. See, like, I'm not good at remembering these jokes. I'm just like, oh, yeah, that was good. And then it kind of yeah. just, like, fades from my mind. So, I feel yeah. I feel like John Mulaney, um, what he's kind of, like, gotten down really well in his specials is both, like, the long-form joke and something, like, smaller. Mm-hmm. Because I think of, like, two of my favorite moments. So the first one is his very last joke in The Comeback Kid about the story how his mom used to date Bill Clinton and then took him to meet Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. It is one of my all-time favorite jokes that he's done. And I like how drawn out it is and that it's, like, this full story with, like, a beginning, middle, and end. And he talks about the fugitive. Yeah, yeah, and it's just... It's oh, the just Fugitive like, was so... That part was so good. so good. And I quote it all the time. I constantly say, like, I'm going to be a Democrat. And, like, I'm going to be a Democrat. If someone says something dumb, I'll just be like, you have the moral backbone of a chocolate eclair. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, like, so we have those, like, long, drawn-out stories that become jokes that are really funny throughout, and then you have, like, a really great punchline at the end, like, when his dad finds out they're going to be defending Bill Clinton. And then I think you have, I think he's also really good at the smaller jokes. And this is why I think his specials are so good is that they're, he knows how to like pace them and vary them um, in telling his jokes and telling his stories. So like you have that long one in the comeback hit about Bill Clinton. And then in Kid Gorgeous, I love his bit about like the past where he talks about like going to like cruise ships to wave people goodbye. And someone's like, do you know anyone on that ship? And he's like, no, I don't know anyone. And they just go to wave and they talk about, like, gazebos being invented in the Civil War. You can be indoors and outdoors at the same time. I went to Connecticut, you know, as white people do. And this is what I love about him is that, like, he can tell just, like, a joke. And he can also tell a story. Mm-hmm. And he's good at both of those things. Which is wild, because his comedy sitcom that was basically a Seinfeld ripoff, was not good. No, I never watched it, but how fast did it get canceled? It took about five, maybe five episodes? I don't think it did. I don't even think it did a full season. It did not do a full season. I definitely watched, like, the first two or three, because I, like, was like, oh, I've heard of John Mulaney. He's pretty good. He's He's got the what's new pussycat bit. And then I went into it, and I was like, oh, he's just remaking Seinfeld. Like, there's even, like, interstitial, like, uh like stand-up comedy monologue bits like Seinfeld used to do in the show and I was like oh this is like a one-for-one direct ripoff there's four friends he has an apartment and most of the most and nothing really happens and he's just sort of basing it off of his stand-up but then his stand-up specials are like ascendant yeah yeah and maybe it's just like the whole sort of like living in a in a world and like a long form storytelling format of, like, over multiple episodes. Maybe that's just not the kind of storyteller he is. Because, so he has another um, Netflix special, which was actually a Broadway show that he and Nick Kroll did together. Oh, that's so good! Oh, hello. Um, Which I also highly recommend. Oh, no, Anya, you have to say it like this. Oh, Oh, hello! hello! (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was a show on Broadway. They were on Broadway. Um, Theater. I also recommend it to UHT because it's a very different version of his humor. Basically, he and Nick Kroll play these two very old men on, like, the Upper West End, Upper East Side. West Side? One of the sides. Sure. They're very old. old They're very New old. Yorkers. Very New York. Um, and it's basically just them living their lives in New York. It's, like, these old men going to, like, Broadway and, like, having a show on Broadway. And it's absurd 
and so funny. And I think you see, I think that's a really good example if you watch that with his comedy specialist. You can really see, like, where his sense of humor comes from Mm -hmm. and how specific it is um, and why it's so good in formats like that. In formats like on stage, in a limited window, and you know. If I'm not a fan of Nick Kroll, would I like it? Because I'm not a huge fan of his kind of he's, humor. He's not. He's not the typical asshole in like the rest of his bits. Mm. Like he's not the character from Parks and Rec or from the League or from like any other thing. He's doing like his own like old old New Yorker character. And the fact that there is a like John Mulaney is there doing like that too. Like there's like it, you kind of get like his his like character voice is a little grating, but like it's an also but it, you get kind of used to it and you kind of like figure out like what what basically like their shtick is. Um, and it's definitely like the like there's a, I mean it's, it's a two hander so like they're both there. Mm. Um, and I also but the jokes are also really good because there's a lot of like. Theater, theater specific jokes and like storytelling jokes, and like they kind of they like break down and subvert and like show like this is what happens when a phone rings. Yeah, it's really theater. funny. Um, and yeah, I would say uh, if you're not a fan of Nick Kroll, you could still enjoy it because again, he really isn't playing Nick Kroll. Like he like these characters that they created for the show, like they definitely live in them during the show, and you watch it and you see these two old men. You don't really see John Mulaney and Nick Kroll. And the other funny thing is that, so it was on Broadway for a year or so, maybe I forget how long it was, but every night they brought up a different celebrity guest in the audience. Like, so they would bring them up from the audience and sit them down and they would have like an improvised conversation as their characters with this celebrity. Which is, which was really funny. I forget which celebrity was filmed for the Netflix. Martin. It was, Steve Martin. It was forget it was him or Henry Henry Winkler. It was Steve Martin. Yeah, I think um, was, I think they actually released two versions of it for Netflix. And I think Chris oh. Pratt's in one of them, or or no, there's a YouTube video of Chris Pratt's version yeah. of it. Yeah, some but of them are also, on YouTube. Yeah, but it's so great because it's like so you get all their stand up stuff, but then you also get this like improvised bit where they're staying in character and they're still really funny and. I think it's just a really great way to, like, see what kind of comedian John Mulaney is Mm. in both ways and why he's become so successful as a comedian. And I particularly love that he's become, like, a mean comedian. Yeah. I love the Twitter threads that are, like, all these things in John Mulaney moments. Yeah, like, Parks and Rec is John Mulaney bits. I do really like those threads, even though I've never seen any of the specials, because he really does work as a more he works even better out of context i think just because you can tell from his face what his delivery is just from his facial expressions and like his lines are just absurd and hilarious so i do really like that i think it's just like i don't know i mean i like i appreciate comedy i've never been like a comedy first kind of person and i do wonder this is my sort of theory to you guys if it's because i didn't grow up watching spongebob squarepants well I mean, there's plenty of people before SpongeBob who liked stand-up comedy, but I think maybe in terms of like the like the mean humor of John Mulaney and like modern stand-up specials, that could be a factor. Because mm. like, there's a lot of like out of context jokes in SpongeBob that I, like I 
that I quote all the time. So, like, it's possible? Yeah, because, like, I... Well, actually, I did watch a few... Some episodes of SpongeBob SquarePants when I was, say, at a beach house or something and we had cable and it was a rainy day. And this was when I was, like, I don't know, preteen. I was, like, 10 or 12 or something. And I watched, like... I don't know, a marathon of SpongeBob SquarePants, and it never really stuck with me. I enjoyed some episodes, but after a while, I just got annoyed. I know this will make you guys hate me, but I was just like, uh, it was a little grating for me, I think, because I was older, and it wasn't really like, like, the humor was fun, but it wasn't really my kind of humor. And I always really enjoyed, for TV shows, something that had, like, a longer narrative. It's why I liked, like, Avatar, The Last Airbender, for example, over something like SpongeBob SquarePants. So, All right, let me... <laughs> I'm gonna. I feel like I fall in the middle. Yeah. I grew up watching a lot of SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. I do not love it the way a lot of millennials do. Like I like <clears> it, <throat> and I can I can quote it, but like, it it's not something that like I adore. To be fair, I watched a lot more Disney growing up than like Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network. So like, I watched a lot more of the Disney shows, like Ducktales and Tailspin and Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, like, I really got into, like, more sitcom-y things like Boy Meets World and Friends. Um, And so, I see what you're saying. I don't know if it's necessarily, like, a Spongebob effect. Um, Although I think that could be part of it. I think larger kind of, like, if you're just not a comedy person. Yeah. Like, for me, I love comedy when it's the kind of comedy that is in my taste. Mm Mm-hmm. If it, I'm very specific about my comedy, and if it's a kind of comedy that I like, I do not like Seinfeld. Right. I don't like the humor in Seinfeld. It doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't make me laugh. But like, really witty British comedy is hysterical to me. I like John Mulaney because he's a bit old-fashioned, and because he's kind of witty and very eloquent, and that really appeals to my sensibilities. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I guess maybe, like, generally, if you're not a comedy person. Yeah. I mean, I also, I I like comedy, but I usually like comedy when it's in service of, like, a larger story, for example. Like, I love community, and it has great comedy. It's so funny. But then again, it, like, also had, like, a larger story arc. Same with Adventure Adventure Time. Like, I, I watched it mostly because I really wanted to find out, like, more about the story and the general world building and stuff and the comedy was good too but like that was almost secondary to that if you if you know what i mean it's like i do that's just like my preference i think and that's why i've never really gravitated towards comedy specials even though i think they're funny and i like Mm -hmm. sort of watching like clips from them and seeing them out of context but i don't really have like a a need to watch them when i can like be watching doctor who for example no, I get that. I get that. I think as someone who loves narratives, that's also another reason I like John Mulaney, is he mm-hmm. can weave a narrative yeah. in his comedy, and I prefer that to a stand-up who just kind of gets up and tells joke after joke, mm-hmm. and doesn't, like, give you a sense of story or world-building or themselves, and that's why I like John Mulaney. I think we, we know him more through his stand-up, and he, like, shares his upbringing and his world with you. Right. He does He does do some world building in his comedy special stand He does. No, I really, I, really I, I liked a lot with the specials that I saw and I really liked the way that he did weave in plot threads or like narratives at least, especially with his dad and you get like a full picture of his childhood. I really liked the Bill Clinton story as well. That was one that actually like I was familiar with beforehand because I'd seen it 
around on Tumblr or Twitter or something. And it was a really funny story to me. And seeing it in the full context with like the, the fugitive interludes were really great as well. Um, but yeah, it was, I enjoyed it, but I feel like I still wouldn't really seek out comedy specials even after seeing these because I, yeah. I, I will watch it if the, if it's there and if I, if you guys recommend it to me. But at the same time, I feel like they're not quite my thing, but I did like them. I enjoyed them a lot. Keep I think gorgeous. that's all we can ask for, really. Yeah, that, no, like, my goal was... and you had fun. My goal was for you to like the John Mulaney specials, not to unlock some soup, some, like, <laughs> new, new, like, genre to love. Like, I wasn't really, that wasn't my ul- my ulterior motive. Yeah, my just... my ulterior motive was, like, I want to quote John Mulaney and have all three of us know what And we're have talk- HD understand where we're coming from. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I think, I think, Willby, I think we succeeded. Yes. Yes, we did. I think these were um, good assignments. I think, I think we'll give ourselves A+. Plus. Yes. I'm going to give myself an A+. Plus. I'm going to give John Mulaney an A+. Plus. Um, uh, give his wife an A+, plus, Petunia, his Petunia. dog an A+. Um, Chip Mulaney gets like an A- minus because he only he orders a single black coffee. Black coffee and drives away. <laughs> I think that would give him an A+, plus actually, because I, that was just a ballsy, <laughs> that was great a good move. move. That was a good, a, a good so, bit. HT, either you can do them together or separately. What is your grade? For the specials and John Mulaney. A. I'll take it. Good fun. Are you one of those teachers that doesn't give out A pluses? I give out A pluses, I think. I don't know. I have to be like. Below it has to be, it has to be Paddington. Yeah, it has to be Paddington. Paddington is the only. Paddington 2 is the only one that'll get an A plus from me. The Chris. best boy, the best bear. Best boy. So that was our first homework assignment. Um. A's all around for Mr. Mullaney. Um, now, HT, what did you assign me and Willoughby? Because we're going to go in a totally different direction Yes, now. although it's the only one that stuck with the back-to-school theme, by the way, if I might say so. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> that was not part of the criteria. No, but I decided to go with it, and because of my arbitrary decision, I can shame both of you. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> So I take back be. the A plus. No. I take back the A. <laughs> well, I des- I decided to assign both Anya and Willoughby Persepolis, which is based based off the graphic novel by uh, Marjorie. Oh, I forgot her last name. Um, Persepolis, Marjorie Satrapi, and it was made into an animated film. Uh, which is the film that I made you guys watch. I remember reading the the uh, graphic novel when I was in college, and I really enjoyed it, and I ended up picking up the, the film after it. And uh, it's I wanted to know what you guys thought of it. It's a bit more serious than uh, the John Mulaney specials. Um, so this film is directed by Marjane Satrapi and Vincent Perinod, and it came out in 2007. So... Anya first. Did it win the Oscar or was it just up for? I think it was just an Oscar-nominated film. Uh, was it animated or foreign language? Animated. Okay. It lost to Ratatouille, of course, because Pixar always wins. Whenever there's a they Pixar... They always win. Yeah, I entry. will say, like, in this case, I'd give it to Persepolis over Ratatouille, I think. But Ratatouille is an underrated Pixar film. It is. I it's like a, Ratatouille. It's a lesser-loved one, and I don't really know why. It is, because it is good. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about some other French-language film today um so i was also familiar with the graphic novel i had never read it but i had i had I'd seen bits and pieces of it and i knew the story and i knew kind of how beloved and critically acclaimed it was and it was on my always on my list to 
watch and or read it. So I'm glad you assigned it. Yay. Just because I'm, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about kind of its overarching themes and kind of what it means and represents, um, which we can get into, but I, I thought it was just a very well-told story, a very moving story. And I, I liked the, the intimate portrait of a single character as this kind of like broader story of, of a whole country and, you know, disillusioned youth, um, and all that. So I was a big fan um, and I'm excited to discuss it more because I definitely, definitely like sparked a lot of thought in me. Yeah, you might be getting a lot of serious movies from me, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is that is okay. All righty, Willoughby. What are, what are your initial thoughts about uh, Persepolis? Um, so similar with Anya, like I'd heard of it. And I was always kind of intrigued by it. I had friends who read it in college. I think HT was one of them. And people on my floor my freshman year were reading it. Um, And, you know, they were, like, passing it around. There was, like, one copy that went throughout my entire hallway. And I just never got around to reading it. Um, And so, again, I was like, oh, cool. I've always kind of wanted to watch the movie or read the graphic novel. And I was really stunned by it. I was not, I did not know what to expect. I never really, like, read up on, like, the story of it, like, you know, um, I knew it took place in Iran, and I knew it took place, like, like, it was about the story of a woman growing up in Iran, but I did not know, like, anything else besides that. And I was really taken aback by, A, how amazing it was, like, animated, and just the story it told within that animation, because I think that it wasn't, you know, it's it's not straight up, you know, 2D animation that you see, you know, it's told, it's very stylistic, it's told in black and white flashbacks, um, there's not too many, like, frames per second, like, it's very, like, not, I don't want to say stilted, but, like, you, it, it's Kind of flowing. languid. yeah. I'd say yeah. that it's it's also layered so and like you could it's almost like paper dolls are like interacting with mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Um and there's a section of the, of a flashback where they talk about how the Shah rose to power in Iran and it's almost told like puppets are talking. Um and I was like, "Oh, that's a really interesting thing because it's like here's here's this one mode of there's one medium and then within that medium they are doing a bit about another medium which is like puppetry and it's just like this really fascinating like very like double layered like uh way to tell a story and i was really i was really impressed by it i was like oh wow this is it's it was giving me uh hugo cabret and the movie hugo vibes in terms of like it's like uh mixed uh, medium, I guess, like just like the the way to t- like the weaving in and out of stories and how everything was very flowy and like um, the way they did uh, flashbacks and the way the way they did like everything. I'm being very general. I'm trying to be specific, uh, but it's it was very good. I very much liked it, and I thought the story was really empowering, empowering and interesting. And you know, I don't watch too many foreign films and foreign language films so like this was really interesting to get like 
a new perspective because like all the movies I've seen about the Iranian revolution have been like Argo. Um, so with whitewashed protagonists at that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so like, it was good to see like the story of the Iranian revolution told from someone who was actually Iranian. Um, and like, I, th- I thought this coming of age film was very, very good. And mm-hmm. I really liked it. Yeah. This is a, a memoir and a, written by Marjane uh, Satrapi. And I really like how it's so different than any memoirs or biopics where you really were used to seeing. It's animated, first of all, and it's told very much in the, it's embedded very much in the perspective of this young girl who is rebelling against her society and go, turns to like rock music and all other sorts of more pop culture things. And it's very seeped in like this love for pop culture at the same time as being set to this more politically tumultuous backdrop. And there's so many elements going into this film that you wouldn't think would really fit because it's more of like the lighthearted pop culture elements with the more heavy political uh, turmoil. And yet it really, it comes all together because the character Marjane is so strong. And I, I absolutely love Persepolis. I really love the animation style. I, you guys are no stranger to be talking, like talking up animation as a medium and how it has so much potential. And I think that it has potential for a story like Persepolis, which, again, was initially a graphic novel, and this movie takes a lot of cues from that graphic novel as well, including the style. And it brings a fresh take onto a story that's kind of familiar, but feels fresh because it's so sort of um, almost lighthearted in a way. And yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's just, it's lighthearted when it needs to be and also serious when it also needs to be. And I don't think they're, they can be, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. um, it's, it very much takes it from the perspective of this, you know, almost of most movies about Iran and, and Iran and Middle Eastern wars are very doom and gloom and serious. And here it, and Persepolis doesn't feel the need to be just serious all the time. There's levity and there's moments of slice of life uh, in the film. And that's what really brings all of it together for me. And it's just, it's a, such a touching story, not because of the sad moments, but because of the happy moments in between and yeah. how it's a life. It's a person's life. And that's it what is. really and makes it life just, like impact layered you. and multiple things happen. It's mm-hmm. not just one thing. But I think what really struck me about this movie is like, it was both specific and universal at the same time. Um, and so when I say that, you know, it's very specific to Iran's revolution um, and their conflicts with Iraq and um, religion and authority. And But I also thought of um, this idea of nature versus nurture while watching this movie. Mm-hmm. And um, children growing up, wherever they grow up, because it's not their choice, and kind of that environment they're surrounded by and how it affects their life. And so, you know, our protagonist at the beginning, like, believes she likes the Shah because she said he was chosen by God. And, you know, that's what the environment and the authorities around her are telling her. And then her parents have to say that, no, that's not true. And so it's like that idea of like the nature you grow up in, um, the environment around you versus kind of what the people in your life are telling you and how you're being nurtured. And, you know, I thought like it's specific, like I said, but also universal. Um, It's not quite comparable, but it made me think about, our generation kind of growing up in a post 9-11 world. Yeah. And, you know, I remember the biggest thing I remember from that time period was like the Islamophobia and the hate and discrimination I saw in the United States after that event. 
And I remember, like, that's the nature I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And it impacted me in such a profound way in terms of my politics and my beliefs and my morals um, and the person I wanted to be as I grew up, you know, and it really affected my, my political ideology. And so I think, you know, it just made me think about this idea of, like, how you grow up and where you grow up and, you know, regardless of if it's a war or a revolution or poverty or a depression or, you know, how that shapes you growing up and how also like the people in your life shape you and just all these different like influencing factors and what kind of person it makes you as you become an adult. Um, this movie really made me think a lot and like reflect on life and our own lives. So I'm glad. So yeah, so I just thought of that a lot and I'm not sure if you guys had similar feelings or if you get what I'm saying, but um, I get what you're saying. I didn't think, think about my childhood too much while I was watching this I was like oh it's fun to see these kids like being kids and then and then uh, as I was saying that war happened and I was like oh oh no <laughs> so there was like that um but like and I I liked that she it's almost like a the prodigal daughter where she's like she goes to Vienna and she you know experiences this different lifestyle um gets real into punk which is fun and then comes back to Iran and has to deal with, like, uh, like her grandmother said, integrity. She has to have integrity. And I thought that, and, like, be her own person. And I thought that was a really powerful statement. Yeah. Your points, Anya, it didn't occur to me, but I think that it really ties into the film's universal themes and the universal message and how anyone can really draw their own interpretations out of this, despite this being a single story. And yeah. I really like that. It's it's really cool that um, you can let it spurs that kind of uh, analysis. I think and it really does. Yeah, I'm, and I'm glad that you, that you liked it. I, I, at least I'm assuming that you liked it. <laughs> oh, I did very much. Yeah. Yes, I thought it was beautiful. I also liked the music a lot. Yeah. I thought the score for the movie was beautiful. It was yeah. gorgeous. I'd agree. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Um, and like I said, you guys were talking about the animation, and I also agree how beautiful and languid it is. I like that it was both simple and complex at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the thing about this movie is I feel like I'm talking in all cliches, but, like, this movie really was able to, like, fit so many things at once. It was specific but universal, simple but complex. Like, like we said in our rom-com episode, you don't have to be... Uh, afraid to use cliches yeah and i feel like this movie really fits a lot of those and it is able to do so many things at once exactly um yeah okay so what would you guys give this uh persepolis a grade out of well you know on the letter scale oh man i mean i think for the way it it really touched me i mean i might have to go full out and do a plus because i thought it just, it had an impact on me, very much so, so. Willoughby? Uh, also A+. Plus. Um, not that it had such a personal impact that, that it did for it did for Anya, but just because like, I think that it's one of the most well-crafted animated movies I've ever seen. Yes. I also recommend, if you guys really like this film, that another movie came out last year that is tells similar similar themes and sort of a coming of age film set in a tumultuous time in the Middle East and it's called The Breadwinner and it's beautifully animated. Uh it kind of follows 
the footsteps of Persepolis and telling a, hor- a harrowing political tale, but with a sort of the whimsy of a perspective uh, of an 11-year-old girl. It's really good. Uh, I recommend that as well. So I think that's a good way to wrap up our, di- our I don't know if it's the discussion, our homework episode. Yeah, our book reports. Ooh. Exactly. Wait. I like that. Let's make let's. I like that name. Maybe we'll call it our movie. Reports. Okay, yeah, our millennial sure. movie reports. Will it be like I'm having flashbacks? I'm having war flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, HT and I are like, yes, a chance to do book reports. Again. Yes, I like that. Although, if we say movie reports, it'll just limit it to movies. I guess we can do book reports, but it's like book in quotation marks. It's like yeah, yeah book. I like calling like it the book report. report the book report. Miss- or yeah. midterms, Jesus! I'm like dying over here. Ooh, millennial midterms. No. Except we're not going to have them like only like once a half the like two times a year. That's like, true. Let's just we'll do book do reports. Book. I like book reports. Okay, cool. So thanks for coming to our uh, new our feature. TED talk. Our TED Talk. Thanks for coming to our TED Talk. <laughs> Thanks for coming to our TED Talk. Thanks for listening to our new feature, Book Reports. We'll be, it'll be back again soon. I think it'll just be arbitrary. I don't know if we'll do it every month. But yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, because we already have our millennial movie monthly review. Yeah, it'll come so every Maybe now every two and months then. or something. Yeah, every two months. We'll, we'll see. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, but before we move on to the last segment of our episode, we have another word from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by trees and lead. They make pencils and paper for you to do homework with. All right. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. So, Willby, let's start with you this week. What do you really like? Um, so I, I really like something that came out yesterday and it's Spider-Man for the PlayStation 4. Couldn't come up with like a fun little intro to it. I really like Spider-Man. Uh, he, I've only played like the, like the tutorial level that they, you know, like read it to get, get like a feel for the game, but I already like love it. They nailed the character of Peter Parker, Spider-Man down pretty well. Um, the, like the action play is really cool. You get to like kind of like swing your web everywhere, and like it's like an open world sort of game. And like the open world is New York City, and you're Spider Man. It's pretty cool. Um, you have to like uh, in the like the tutorial level, you have to like go to like Fisk Tower and take down Wilson Fisk, um, aka the Kingpin. Um, and you have to like fight all his guards, and like the way they kind of like they dress up Fisk Tower, so basically it's like Trump Tower, but he's Fisk. Um, and there's also like reelect Osborne for mayor on in like Times Square advertising. So there's like a lot of interesting stuff that's going on like in the background. And I can't wait to explore like every nook and cranny. I've seen people posting on on like Twitter and Tumblr about like the new Spider-Man game, and I was really intrigued by it. Um, it came out yesterday, but people are already playing it. And I guess you can go to the Embassy of Wakanda and take a picture of it. And there's also, like, um, I saw on Tumblr, like, someone just randomly spotted, like, a pride flag, like, on an apartment. So, like, there's, like, these really interesting little, like, they a lot of attention to detail when it comes to the the animation and uh, background stuff of the game. Um, 
And also have... the finger guns. Yes. So there's a mode where you can greet citizens and they do it so that it looks like he's Peter Parker in Spider-Man 3 going down the street and just finger gunning at different women. Um, and so there's a lot. And I, there's a moment where uh, he captures Will, Wilson Fisk as a, at, at the end of this tutorial level. He's upside down in a web. And uh, Peter Parker just goes, is this where we kiss now? Classic Peter Parker yeah, humor. Like, I'm also just like my Bay Wilson Fisk. Oh, you you wouldn't like him in this game because no. he's just he's just he's just a big like dude who hates Spider Man. I and, only like it when he's Vincent D'Onofrio being a I was romantic. Say, he's not yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio, the soft the soft. This is also murder. like super powered <laughs> Wilson <murder>. Fisk. <laughs> this is this is also like super powered Wilson Fisk, like I guess, or Wilson Fisk in the comics where he has like super strength. Mm. instead mm-hmm. of just being fat um so there's that um but yeah no like i'm and it was it's like you're qual- you're crawling through like vents to get up to the top of fisk tower and you get calls from like mary jane and from aunt may and you're like at the end of the level uh the you you win your objective and then the objective is like get to your other job because you have to because he's this is like 24 year old peter parker so he's got like responsibilities <laughs> no, honestly know. i relate to this too much this is With just like stressing me out too much for life heart comes great responsibility so he's like doing his own thing and then he's like oh shit i got to get to work <laughs> oh my god that's hilarious um, yeah so i'm i'm really excited i don't know where like the story goes and i'm really intrigued by like this open world spider-man game there was a game like 10 or 12 years ago that was a, a spider-man like quote-unquote open world where basically like you just flew. You, you didn't have to do the story. You could just fly around, do your own thing, and spin webs and stuff. And this was really fun. That's awesome. It sounds all the tweets about it make it look so good. So. Yeah, honestly, I, I would buy the, the PS4. I didn't even get to the best part. You can go to Spider Man's Twitter feed. Oh my god, he's what? NYC, NYC wall crawler, and he's got like a social feed. It's That's so amazing. funny. Oh my god, yeah, his like his like profile picture is like a selfie. Um, <laughs> And yeah, there's a photo mode, and there, you, you can do a lot of fun things with the photo mode. Um, so I'm very excited to get into this game. This game really knows its audience. Yeah, it it's sounds like the perfect fun. millennial Spider-Man. It's very millennial Spider-Man. So it's, it's I love good. it. So I would buy a PS4 just for the finger gun part, honestly. Well, you're gonna buy well, a PS4 anyway for Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts. So. Uh, yeah, obviously. Like you're I'm waiting for to... Black Friday. Yep, yeah, me too. Yeah, so, so get on get on the uh, on the Spider-Man. Uh, game. Apparently there's a trophy where if you greet ten citizens, you, you win the trophy Spider-Man About Town. <laughs> That's amazing. That's oh, oh my god. Alright, um, Anya, what's your really like for this week? Alright, um, so I saw an early screening of a movie that is coming out later this month, and I loved it. It's gonna go down. To talk about it? I am. Oh, cool. It premiered at festivals, so there's no embargo. Oh, oh cool. Cool. Yeah, um, it's probably going to go down with one of my top ten. So, yeah, Ooh. and so the movie is Colette, directed by Wash Westmoreland and starring Kira Knightley and Dominic West. Ah, uh, I see all the trailer for that. Yeah, oh, and so... I think I, I think I know what you're talking about. It's a biopic of the French novelist Colette, um, and... She go by, pre- is she like a share? Like, she doesn't have a last name? I mean... She does, but I think Colette um, is her last name, and that, but that's the name she ends up adopting as an author. Oh, 
So it follows Colette, um, who marries a man 14 years her senior named Willie, played by Dominic West, and it's about their relationship and Colette's agency and her taking control of her life um, because her husband, Willie, is at heart a capitalist. Um, and he finds ways to make money, including having her write these, popu- these popular novels known as Claudine. They become huge hits, except they're published under Willie's name, not hers. It's sort of like that whole Big Eyes thing, the Amy yeah. Adams, Christoph Waltz movie. Um, and so, but what's special about this film and about Colette as a person is that through her breaking free of her husband and taking control of her life, it also explores gender and sexuality. She falls in love with a gender-defying person, Matilda Monet, who's a real person. Everyone is a real person. It's based on a true story. Um, and what's great about this movie is that it it's so succinctly and so poignantly discusses gender and sexuality. You know, there is actually conversation about pronouns in this film that is set in, you know, the early 1900s, the mm. turn of the century, and discusses fashion and how women present themselves and how they are comfortable in society. Um, the movie also has two trans actors cast in cisgender roles, which is amazing. That's really progressive. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the movie is directed. Wash Westmoreland is an openly gay man. The movie was co-written by himself and his late husband and a woman. And you can just tell that it's people who care about these stories and about these lives and these identities. Um, it's very feminist. Like, HT, I feel like you will love it. Like, Colette, as a protagonist, is just wonderful. And she's so amazing to root for. And Keira Knightley is, she's a star. She always has been. Yeah, she's I always good. So much, and she's, she's great. Been good, she's, been ever, she's been good since those Pirates movies. Before since that, Bend It Like Beckham. Bend it like Beckham. Have you seen she, that, Willoughby? She played... Uh, no, I've never seen it, but she's also played a handmaiden in Star Wars Episode One. She did. Phantom she did. Uh, okay, well, you know what? Our next homework assignment for you is going to be Bend It Like Beckham. <laughs> Amazing. It's such a good movie. It's a good movie. Um, but yeah, so Colette is really good. It's it's progressive. And, you know, it, it makes me think about movies. Like, when we had our recent discussion about Scarlett Johansson and the trans casting controversy, and then you have a movie like this that does it so easily and with so much progress and love and affirmation and you're just like see it's not that hard guys like you can do it yep they don't need to have all this hair pulling it's it's actually very easy it's very easy um and so it's just a really wonderful film and it really you know speaks to you know a queer experience um and between this and disobedience i'm just like living on cloud nine right now with yes. all my like queer movies about women. It's so great. And on Tuesday, I'm actually interviewing the director, Josh <gasps> Westmoreland. So oh. I'm very excited to talk to him Ooh, fun. and tell him, you know, how great this movie was. So I highly recommend Colette. It comes out on September 21st and yeah, it's really good. All right. Just in time for the autumnal equinox. Exactly. <laughs> wow. I did not know. The day of the autumnal equinox. I guess, yeah, it's the 22nd. It's the first isn't day it? of fall. Yeah, that's true. All right. Uh, so, my. Stephanie has to go back to the underworld, so it's very important. Leaves start dying. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, my really like this week is another period piece that sort of defies categorization. So, it's a movie called The Little Stranger. It's directed by Lenny Abrahamson, who. I think I direct. I think I pronounced his name right. He direct. He directed Room, 
which was the Oscar-nominated film uh, starring Brie Larson, amazing film. Uh, and unfortunately, his latest film kind of got buried in August. And it's a very sad thing if you miss this film because it's really good. So Little Stranger stars Donald Gleason, Will Poulter, Ruth Wilson. And uh, Donald Gleason stars as a doctor who travels to Hundreds Hall, which was a an old manor that he was... Um, in awe of as a child. He grew up in the sort of vicinity of it. And now it's sort of dilapidated and um, fallen into disarray post-World War II. And he comes to treat the inhabitants of this manor, one of which is a war veteran played by um, a Will Poulter who is suffers has suffered severe burns all down his body and uh, has started to sort of see hallucinations all around the house um, which kind of start to affect the rest of the house members as well. And they start to imagine that they're being haunted by the ghost of the little girl who used to live there, the, their younger sister, um, Susan. I think that was her name. So they, it's this psychological drama that is a really interesting sort of almost a commentary and almost condemnation of class division and also, a very fascinating portrayal of toxic masculinity, which I think you will like, Anya. There's a lot of layers to this film. I came in expecting... Anya just perked up at the phrase toxic masculinity. Yes. Oh, especially it's like my towards... calling, calling mm-hmm. card, or like toxic masculinity. I'm like, yes? <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of layers to this film. I'm so... here. <laughs> um, so at first, I came in expecting a gothic horror film because that's kind of how the film was marketed it was mostly marketed as like a ghost story and that's really almost at the background of this at the forefront is this uh drama about a family who's um sort of living in the the shadow of the glory days of this manor and this one man who's obsessed with those glory days and obsessed with this house and all that it represents uh and yet it it it's has fallen into disarray and it, it's kind of this a former shadow of itself um and it's a it, i don't know how to describe it except that that's a really interesting film there's a romance at the core of it that is not really a romance either but is um a really interesting uh sort of magnifi- magnifying glass it takes a really interesting magnifying glass at this uh class divide i like it a lot um i it's moody it's atmospheric it's strange and kind of it's very slow burning, but it left an impact on me, especially at the end. And uh, it has moments of uh, outright horror, which really surprised me because it definitely felt more like a period drama than a horror. But um, it's it basically is very much gothic drama in that it takes these elements of society and turns them into and like manifests them as horrific elements. And um, I. I recommend it. It's a great film. Um, I think Anya, you will love it. I'm very excited. I think will be. You might be a little. You might be a little on the fence about it, but if you guys like gothic horror or gothic drama in any way, uh, I highly recommend. HT, did you ever see Frank? I didn't see it. You should watch Frank. It was, it was the movie he did before Room. Yeah, and it also, and also stars, stars Donald Gleason. Oh. And it also has uh, Michael Fassbender as yes. the titular Frank. I remember Michael Fassbender started that, and it was him in that strange head. head yeah. The puppet head. It's really good. It's, it's a, a really good movie. Good movie. Yeah. Ooh. All right. You know, the, the strange sensibility of uh, 
the of Lenny Abramson is there in Frank that he doesn't use in Room because Room is very much like a story about what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're talking about the little stranger and how there's like weirdness to it, I think he he uh, he's probably a little bit of a weird director. Yeah, with like his like like yeah, Frank's a really weird movie, but really yes. good. Yeah, I can sense that. All right, I think that's. All right. Well, that is our episode. If you guys have any thoughts about the homework we discussed, including John Mulaney and Persepolis, um, come talk with us or any of our really likes this week, Spider-Man for the PS4, Little Stranger or Colette. If you've seen trailers and you're interested, at least, and go check it out. Um, Come talk with us about all these things. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. And you can also follow us on our WordPress blog, which is Millennial Falcon WordPress. Nope, nope. It's MillennialFalconPodcast.wordpress.com. And we're also on SoundCloud, and we're also on iTunes and Google Play, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. And where can they find you guys on the internet today? You can find me on Twitter at HTranBooey. You can find me on Twitter at at Anya Crittenton. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. Alright, thanks for joining us, guys. Bye! Bye. Bye.